Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And believe me, if you are a boomer, you are about to really embrace your life as you listen to this interview. Our guest, Daniel Forbes Hauser, has written the definitive book on our generation and the extraordinary cultural revolution we sparked. It's entitled Revolution and Renaissance, 1965 to 1975. And in the vernacular of those years, this book is beyond far out, man. (laughs) In fact, I can't think of a better book for any of us to add to our personal library. Well, there is a ton to share. I can't wait to get started. So welcome, Daniel. Good morning, Eileen. Thank you. Well, first off, I have to say congratulations. We had a chance to chat a little bit before we went on air, and I've been gushing for the last five, ten minutes. But it's truly a remarkable book, and I'm not kidding when I said every one of us boomers is is going to want to have this in his or her personal library. But before we get into the specifics of the book, and there are a lot of those, but I think it's really fascinating how you, you know, your own personal background kind of led to the book. Uh, So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what made you want to uh, write this amazing count of uh, the 11 years that in so many ways changed the world. Well, like you, I was going through the 60s and 70s just thinking that that was the routine, and it wasn't until many years later that we began to realize what an incredible season of time it was from 1965 to 1975 as far as the uh, cultural upheaval that was taking place. Anyone who's a baby boomer will remember some of the things that uh, are now the, the real pillars of that. We had numerous... Uh, assassinations of key figures. You had all of the campus unrest. You had protest marches and sit-ins, the sexual revolution and recreational drugs that was going on. You had both a president and a vice president that were forced uh, to resign in disgrace. Then, of course, there were uh, moments like Woodstock or Vietnam or Watergate and then all of the uh, demands for equal rights by various uh, minority groups. And so really the the country was just in a frenzy during that time period. Well, yes, I I mean, absolutely. And, of course, there are elements of that that we are seeing today, too, because I would say the country's kind of back in a frenzy, so to speak. But, yeah, this this time was really, I mean, a revolution or revolutionary is not too large a word for sure. But I'm kind of interested because you grew up in Boulder, Colorado, and the place of your birth and your own personal history kind of relate to the greater elements that were going on at that time. So tell us a little bit about why why you found that, that Boulder kind of was like a microcosm for some of these larger uh, movements that were happening in the 60s and early 70s. Well, it's really true. I mean, Boulder is not that large a city. It does not even have its own commercial airport. And yet what I've learned over the years is that Boulder has had an inordinate influence in our country in change, uh, just as a couple of examples, the whole movement toward uh, legalized marijuana has started here. Uh, the movement for legalized abortion started here. 
in the late 60s. Uh, it's been an amazing community. And what really triggered this book, Eileen, was uh, a few years ago I was just reminiscing with some friends about some of the various things we were doing in high school and college. And uh, I was not a, a radical, I will say that. Uh, I was a mischievous student. <laughs> I enjoyed having some fun. But um, two two conversations that really kind of triggered this idea of a book for me, of things that took place here in Boulder. Uh, first was from a, a friend of mine who reminded me that his older brother uh, co-founded the most radical group that ever existed in the United States. They called themselves uh, the Weathermen, and then they changed it later yeah. to the Weather Underground. But they were not about protest marches or sit-ins like uh, many other groups were doing. Their model was literally to use bombs to try and destroy government buildings. Uh, their ultimate goal was to overthrow the government and start all over again. And within wow. a three-year span, within a three-year span, this is hard to believe, but it's true, they averaged three bombs a day somewhere in the United States. Now think of that. I mean, if, if we had just one or two bombs now, you know, the FBI would be just consumed with it. But our country didn't know how to cope with that because they were sprinkled all over the country and they were off the grid, so there was no way to find them. But over 1,100 bombs they detonated somewhere in the United States in a three-year period. So there is an example of the ultra-radical left at that time that some of that came out of Boulder. Then at the opposite end of the spectrum, um, I had another friend who was talking about his friends were more what we would call the redneck mindset. They did not want these changes that were coming. They did not want these uh, long-haired hippies that were moving into Boulder from California. And he mentioned to me that his best friend's dad was the marshal here in Boulder County. Now, that's like a sheriff. It's law enforcement. But the marshal here was so frustrated with these hippies that were... Um, shoplifting or breaking into cabins and living there until they got kicked out and uh, purposely getting arrested so that they could get a warm night's sleep and a warm meal and so on. And this sheriff got so frustrated and, Im and impatient with those that he actually killed a couple of them without telling anyone. And when I first heard that, Eileen, I, I didn't believe it. I said, my friend is just blowing smoke and I don't think that's true. And about a month later, there was a two-page spread article in the Sunday uh, Denver Post newspaper uh, just a few years ago now where this marshal was retired. He was on his deathbed with a terminal disease, and he chose to confess to the whole thing. And I read that, oh and chills just ran down my back going, this is what my friend was telling me. And and it was at that moment when I realized you had this extreme um, right-wing, you know, resistant to change mindset, as well as this extreme radical, you know, let's overthrow everything, all in the same general community. I thought there's a story here, and that's where I just began to do the research for that time window that we're talking about. Well, Daniel, you just provided our listeners with a prime example of what this book is like. I know you are you are known as a master storyteller and you just shared 
the book I, I to me was a combination. It was like, oh, these long forgotten memories, you know, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about that or I didn't realize all that. And then these personal stories that you weave in and out that just make the book come alive. So it's not, I mean, it's a recounting of this time, that's for sure, and, and we get the, the real, you know, again, the renewal of those memories of the history that we lived through. But the personal stories add such depth and color. Another one that got me um, was the, what, the story you had, and it was in, the, I think it was in 1968, because you divide the book over the years, and where the guy paid $100 for someone to break his kneecap so he wouldn't have to go in the war. Yeah, yeah. You realize this was the first time where young men did not want to go into military service, and I, I make that contrast where back in World War II, for example, our parents, when that war came along, men were volunteering and even lying so that they could get into the service because they felt that committed to our country and what they felt they needed to do. When Vietnam came along, it was just the opposite. Young men were finding all kinds of creative ways to avoid the draft and to avoid military service. And, you know, there were many guys that snuck up to Canada and lived there for a while. I mentioned a couple friends who um, found ways to medically uh, cheat on the system, you know, where they snuck a blood capsule into their urine sample or something like that. But you're right, that was an extreme one. Uh, a young man I knew who had a scholarship to the University of Colorado and then flunked out, so he lost his scholarship. But he decided he wanted to do anything he could to avoid the draft, and so he offered $100, which was a lot of money in 1968, 1969. Uh, he offered $100 to guys in the pool hall there, uh, anyone who would take one swing with a sledgehammer to smash his kneecap. And uh, he was on crutches for about six months as a result of that, but that meant he flunked his physical, and so he was given a 4F, and he felt it was more uh, preferable to walk with a limp the rest of his life than to risk getting killed in Vietnam. Boy, I mean, see, these are the things that, again, it just makes the history come alive, and it makes us, you know, as a reader, you know, really go back and experience those times again. Um, well, at the start of the interview, you'd mentioned three kind of of the main reasons that all of this took place. So if you don't mind repeating them again, what were, in your mind, the, the basic uh, three major reasons that brought about the the revolution of the 60s and early 70s. Yeah, I think that's really a key question to all of this, <clears throat> and I do think it was a collision or what I call a perfect storm of three things that kind of collided. Uh, third, I would suggest, would be the, the entire civil rights movement. You had African-American leaders who were saying, we are no longer going to accept the lot or the role of being treated as subhuman people in this country. And the number of marches and sit-ins and so on was growing. They were able to get some media coverage on that. And the momentum started to pick up with that surrounding the civil rights movement. <clears throat> Second of these three was the Vietnam War itself. That went from roughly 65 to 75, which is part of the reason I chose that, that very time window for this book. 
Um, Vietnam was a very ugly chapter in our nation's history because it divided our country, um, sadly, uh, for many reasons. But you had young men trying to avoid the draft, as I said. You also had people who wanted to be supportive of our country, and their mantra was, America, love it or leave it. Yeah, but it was a very divisive time surrounding that war and, and the confusion of why we were even there. Uh, so that would be the second reason for this bell curve of cultural upheaval. What I suggest is the first and primary of the three <clears throat> was simply the age wave, excuse me, <clears throat> the age wave that you and I are a part of, what we now call the baby boomers. Uh, it was literally a tsunami of an age wave um, as uh, baby boomers were coming of age in the middle 60s, getting away from home for the first time, and just looking to have a voice for themselves. And literally within less than 10 years, the, um, the number of students enrolling in colleges and universities tripled in this country. So you had this enormous uh, body of young people just looking to express themselves. And they found that the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement were an opportunity for them to do so. But they were really creating what I call a countercultural revolution. You know, everything from how we wore our hair, how we dressed, the music we listened to, uh, the mantra became sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that just had to do with being opposite of whatever our parents were in every way. And so it was the collision of those three factors that made for this enormous uh, cultural upheaval in our country. Well, I, you kind of distill it it's so well because it's a complicated for sure. There's a lot of factors that play into it. And one of the things when you were talking about, you know, wanting to rebel against our parents and against the conventional times of the 50s, which has created many of our childhoods, but also I think from birth, because of our numbers, uh, you know, we we kind of had a sense of entitlement. I don't know if you felt felt that way, but you know, those early television shows were aimed at us. You know, like Leave It to Beaver and all that. And I, you know, and our parents, I think, who had experienced World War Two and the and the, you know, the uh, what am I trying to think of? The, you know, when the money went ran out, that that <laughs> I'm losing my word there. I'm obviously a boomer. I'm I'm older, but yeah, the the depression. That's what I said. But, you know, they went through such tough times. They wanted to give us birthday parties, and if you were really lucky, you lived near Disneyland and all these kinds of things. And then so we had kind of that sense of entitlement. So when we got to be rebellious, we really got to be rebellious. It's very true. It's very true. And I give a few more details of that in the website that's connected to the book. The website is simply revolutionandrenaissance.com. And people can see some video clips there. They can see more of the details of the book. Um, what I did was break up the book where each chapter is its own year. So if people want to look specifically at 1968, which you cited, or 1971 or, or whatever, they can do so because it takes a look at 1965 to 1975 in that sequential look Without being, this is not a political rant from the left or the right. This is just reflecting on all the drama that was taking place. 
Yeah, well, I think you bring a very balanced picture of, uh, again, you're not <laughs> on one side or the other particularly, but but the fact that you weave in, again, and the backdrop of the major revolution that was going on, you weave in these personal stories and uh, share some of, you know, the insights that you've had. I just think it it really, it's a book that, again, I'm saying this over and over again, but really it's a book that any boomer's going to want to read. Uh, but before we have to leave, and I'm already keeping you a little bit over time, but it's such a fascinating uh, topic. I hope you don't mind. But I would like you to, if you can, kind of briefly sum up some of the, the points that you want your readers to take away from the book and how some of these issues are, are reflecting back on us today. Well, Thank you very much for your kind words. Um, first and foremost, I just felt it would be fun to have an entertaining read where people could look back on this segment of history. And as you discovered, so many events you will say, I didn't remember that or I didn't know that. And that's the purpose of all the research that was done, was just to give people a snapshot year by year of the incredible things that were taking place. There are some real takeaways for us today uh, in terms of what we learned from that era, and then the question would be, could that happen again? And I do suggest in the concluding parts of the book that we learn some significant things. For example, uh, the wonderful um, awareness that our country gained about the need for equal rights, not just for African Americans, but for women, for Native Americans, uh, many other groups, you know, there was a real renaissance that took place in terms of uh, equal rights. There was also a major shift that took place with the media. Uh, prior to this time, the media would cover, let's say, Capitol Hill or the White House with this sense of deep respect, and they would turn their, uh, their face away from the shortcomings or the flaws that they secretly knew were sometimes taking place on Capitol Hill because it was a matter of honoring the office of the president or honoring Congress by covering them in the news. Obviously, that changed following Watergate. And now the media has swung the other way, where they're looking for dirt that they can throw in the face of any political candidate. So the book does show some significant uh, applications that we've learned from this time period and whether or not this kind of revolution could happen again. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, but one more time, please let our listeners know once again, uh, of course, where they can get the book, where your website is, and how they can find out more about Revolution and Renaissance. Thank you. The timing is perfect on this because the book becomes available tomorrow, uh, December 4th, through uh, Amazon.com. And then next Monday, December uh, ninth, it will be available through any bookstore in the United States. Um, as you said, the book title is Revolution and Renaissance. There's a website with that name, Revolution and Renaissance. And I really hope that people will not only read this for their own enjoyment, but uh, even buy it as a gift for other baby boomers or even their children to help them learn about some of the incredible history that you and I lived through. 
Well, absolutely, Daniel. I have to say, again, thank you so much for your time sharing about this absolutely fascinating book and, of course, your thoughts on what were truly major markers of our youth and what some of these events can mean for us today. Thank you again. Eileen, it's been great to talk to you. And for all of you listeners out there, please consider giving your friends and most of all yourself, just like Daniel just mentioned, a gift that will truly bring back the decade that transformed us all. I I promise you, you'll pick it up again and again, see something different each time. I don't know how Daniel gathered all the facts and all the information he did, but it's one heck of a read. i got to share that with you. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.